OCRFM wish to advise the following program may contain information and subjects that could be deemed controversial in nature. The aim of the show is to provide an opportunity for listeners to discuss issues in a non-confrontational, fact-based manner. Should you wish to join the conversation, please feel free to phone the station on 5232191. You're listening to From Paddocks to Pride on OCRFM with myself, Sarah. This segment aims to help provide a voice for the LGBTIQ plus community, or as I like to call it, the umbrella. Our aim is to ensure the community is supported and to reinforce that you should feel accepted as you are in the town you grew up in. While my views are not representative of the whole community, extensive research has been done to aim to be inclusive to everybody and spread awareness and progress people's viewpoints. News in our community. So for those that follow us on social media, so Instagram or Facebook, you would have seen us share an article from The Guardian about how the Australian Bureau of Statistics have dumped questions about sexual orientation and gender identity from the census. So these questions would have been able to help in regards to sexual orientation, gender identity and perhaps even sexual characteristics, which would then help with planning healthcare and social services. It would also be interesting to see the statistics to see if we are really that much of a minority um, because of the fact that there are a lot of people out there that are in, I guess, heteronormative relationships. However, they might be pansexual, they might be bisexual. We also don't know about their gender identity, so they could be non-binary. They could also be perhaps uh, gender fluid. So these sort of things we can't really see from an outsider perspective. However, however, by asking these questions in the census, we might have been able to actually have a greater understanding. So because we think that this is so important, what the Equality Australia group is doing is helping to put out a petition to get this reinstated. And they're also using the hashtag COUNTUSIN2021 to ensure that these statistics can be found out so they can ask them during the census because we think it's really important. Okay, A little bit off topic, however, there is something exciting happening recently for those that didn't know OCRFM is actually celebrating 28 years of broadcasting so if you head to the Facebook page OCRFM you'll be able to see what the radio station is doing to celebrate we'll be back after this may I have your attention please You're listening to From Paddocks to Pride on OCRFM with myself, Sarah, and guest presenter this week, Suzanne Prosser. For the topic of safe places as a part of our series on health. So, Suzanne, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi. Um, good to be here. Um, I am, I've, I've got, I'm a youth worker by trade, I like to say. So, um, I've, I have been a youth worker 
for my whole career really of just about 25 years and for a lot of that time um, I have worked with LGBTI young people working for the City Greater Geelong for quite a while there running the GASP program which is a support group for LGBTI young people a support group but also we would do training and work with schools to support students in schools Um, more recently I was working um, with safe schools so working with schools to support them to support LGBTI students and now I'm actually just working for myself as a consultant so that's kind of me you're listening to From Paddocks to Pride on OCRFM with myself, Sarah, and guest presenter this week, Suzanne Prosser, for the topic of safe places as a part of our as a part of our series on health. So, Suzanne, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, um, my name's Suzanne. I have been I'm a youth worker, or have been a youth worker for most of my career. Um, I'm now currently working for myself as doing some consultancy work around um, inclusion and diversity in workplaces. Um, But yeah, so as a youth worker, um, a big part of my role has been working with LGBTI young people. Uh, I used to run the social and support group at the City of Greater Geelong, the GASP group, for quite some time, which included uh, social and support and individual counselling for young people and also a lot of work with schools to support schools to support students. Um, and more recently I've been involved with the Safe Schools program as well and um, yeah and now I'm, I'm uh, running uh, running my own business um, consulting. Fantastic so how long were you how long have you been doing all this for quite some time? Yeah so I guess my whole career has been in youth work right back from really when I was 18 and um, actually I started in the church I grew up as a good Christian girl in the church um, and so had aspirations to be like a, a youth minister in a church and then um, for lots of different reasons I'm no longer part of the church but um, I was doing like running the youth group in the church from when I was about 17 or 18 and then um, yeah then moved into um, running youth work doing youth work through local governments um, yeah and ended up down here in Geelong. Oh fantastic. So it's so, about 25 years. Yeah it's yeah. obviously something you're very passionate about so that's good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So do you want to give us a little brief overview on GASP? Yeah GASP well so. What does I it can, stand for? Oh it used to stand for something and, I, and I'll say that I don't work for GASP anymore so mm-hmm. I can really only talk about how what GASP was when yep. I was there. Um, at GASP it started uh, it was actually one of the first social and support groups ever to exist in Victoria so um, one we're not sort of there's a bit of debate friendly debate about which was the first one but one started up in Shepparton actually by Rowena Allen the um, sexual and the gender and diversity commissioner Um, and they yeah they started that I think maybe must have been about 95 because Geelong started in about 96 Mm -hmm. not by me Um, and uh, yeah so back then it was really just a drop-in group for um gay really just gay young people um and it's interesting how things have evolved and so gasp used to stand for the geelong adolescent sexuality project Mm because everything had to have an acronym (laughs) um but as as we move moved on over the years we just kept the name gasp and dropped the acronym because well it used to go between the geelong adolescent sexuality project to the gay adolescent sexuality project to the yeah. So it, and and then obviously we realised that it was not inclusive of all young people, mm-hmm. um, and so we just started calling it the Geelong, uh, the Gas Project, 
because we were increasingly supporting more and more trans and gender diverse young people and so made sense. So it's a social and support group. Um, when I was running it, we used to have someone doing individual support and counselling. Um, we used to run a parent support group. Um, and, yeah, we used to do a lot of work in schools, so delivering training to staff um, and, and off, yeah, working with individual young people. I, actually, I used to do a lot of classroom work, so go in and into classrooms and talk about run like a 45 or 90-minute session with students about, you know, be nice to your mates and don't be homophobic kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that for quite a while as well, yeah. yeah. Mm. So what's – do you have perhaps a favourite story or a project or some sort of impact that you feel that you've had from the work you've through, done? Through GASP? Oh, just in general, um, like anything you've done. Oh, there's – Probably lots of things, you know, some of it's that individual stuff where, you know, you worked with an individual young person and then, because like, as a youth worker, you don't often see where people end up in their lives. So um, every so often, you know, you bump into a young person who's not a young person anymore. Um, one young person who um, I'm now like friends with on Facebook and she's got a kid and um, partner, partner and life's going great. And, you know, you know, you supported them through difficult times and now their life's going well. So those sorts of things are great. Um, we did some great work in Geelong, which is still continuing, um, not through GASP, but through um, a GP in Geelong. But whilst I was at GASP in the sort of early 2000s, we started having more and more trans and gender diverse young people coming along to the group. But there was nowhere for us to refer them to if they wanted extra support, if they were wanting to think, if they were thinking about affirming their gender or needed medical support. And so myself and um, one of my colleagues at the time, Tracy, who was who did the individual support, Tracy Whitmore, we um, decided we should just do something about that. So we ran a forum in Geelong um, called Trans and Gender Diverse Healthcare Pathways, and and ended up being like amazing we ended up being almost like a national forum we had people from all across the country come down we had brother boys and sister girls from the northern territory from the Tiwi islands we had people from um wa um and it really sparked a conversation about how how can we create a healthcare pathway for transgender and transgender diverse um young people but you know and so now we do actually have a group of gps psychologists um social workers etc who are now able to support trans and gender diverse young people in Geelong. So I feel that's that's something I'm really proud of that I was part of. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So in saying that, is there a way to obtain that information without having to go through GASP? Like, is there an easy way to find GPs that are inclusive? Uh, no, not really, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> um, it is something that uh, in another bit of work that I'm kind of working on will hopefully start to happen yeah. um but yeah unfortunately no not not at this stage yeah okay it's oh, a bit it is a big gap it's a gap in in service provision for trans and gender diverse children and young people across the country particularly in more regional and rural areas mm -hmm. So in Melbourne, you can go to the Royal Children's Hospital. It's easy to access. Um, there's a gender service there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a bit of a wait list, which is why we, we really do need more GPs and psychiatrists and psychologists supporting young people in their towns so they don't have to travel great distances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there are some people in Geelong 
who are available to support. Um, you can ring as a, um, a GP clinic called Cadinia Health mm-hmm. in Belmont. Um, and if anyone, that's a good place to start in terms of there's a supportive GP there. Okay, fantastic. Mm. Um, hopefully we'll have some more information as well on places in Colac that will be good for those that are listening locally because we're having a sexual health nurse actually come on oh, and talk so that'll be fantastic to have her um hopefully give some good information but also on places that people can go as well just to um uh, blow my own trumpet a little bit i have just recently written a resource uh, for an organization called emerging minds which mm-hmm. emerging minds supports children um, zero to 12 uh, around mental health issues and um, I just wrote a resource for them which is designed for GPs but it's also great for parents so if you're a parent out there who has a trans or gender diverse child and you don't know what to do or you don't know much about it um, go to Emerging Minds on their website just um, use their search button to Google you know, search button to search <laughs> Google it's become a verb um, trans and gender diverse and there's a resource there sort of like a 101 resource on how to support um a trans and gender diverse child um but great but it was written for gps so if you're a gp in colac get on it fantastic (laughs) that's a good little resource to have yeah so i guess it's time that we move on to our whole episode on safe places so it's probably important that we define that first so safe places is a welcoming supportive and safe environment for those under the umbrella so lgbtiq plus identifying people and i guess for allies as well um and places you can be yourself without fear of discrimination so there's various places where they exist um there are like for instance places in colac there's a youth health hub there's Calic Bookshop, there's Piano Bar, um, there's cafes and stuff as well. So do you want to talk a little bit about perhaps why safe places lead to better health outcomes? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess it all kind of comes back to our need to belong and to feel connected to other people. Um, and I think if you don't feel safe, you don't belong. Like you don't feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's you know that's that's applies to any anywhere. It applies to school. It applies to TAFE and uni. It even apply, it does apply to a GP clinic. That mm-hmm. if you if you walk into a G clinic, GP clinic and don't see that you belong because there's nothing in the clinic that shows that they're a supportive or a safe place or an inclusive place. Mm-hmm. That makes it that's a hard that's a barrier for you to that you know you're going to have to step over particularly if you want to talk about your um you know something personal about your identity your sexuality or your gender identity so yeah for me i think safe places are important because it's about belonging so you know knowing that there's a cafe in colac that you can go to where you will belong because you're accepted Mm -hmm. is is absolutely crucial and that applies obviously to schools yeah Yeah. I find it fantastic how many more places are popping up with rainbow flags and everything and I know when I went into youth health sorry the youth health hub in Colac there's a lot there and I know walking past um when I was visiting my mum walking past the on the main street in Terang, how there was a clinic there that had all these signs and they had a trans one that actually said that trans 
people are welcome here and I thought that that's really fantastic because that's only something that I guess has blown up in the last few years but you never used to see that I never saw that as a kid we didn't Mm. have that around and I think it's really great because people are more likely to be open with who they are they feel like they don't have to hide who they are when they go to the doctors and obviously it's hard you can't just hide who you are if you're gender diverse and I think the irony um you know knowing that this is going out to Colac and surrounds that the irony of the benefit of living in a rural community is that there's a really strong sense of community in those places Mm -hmm. particularly in smaller towns and it's absolutely true um, except that when you are different and you don't feel like you belong so Mm -hmm. there's that kind of I guess it's that narrative that um, you know if something bad happens in a community everyone knows what's going on everyone's going to um, band together and support each other mm-hmm. but if you're that young person that feels like they are a bit different then the community banding together can actually make you feel even more on the outer if mm. people aren't actively trying to include you um yeah. i don't know if that's i've said that very clearly but i think yeah it's that irony of yeah a community these small communities are so tight-knit yeah but because they are so tight-knit if you don't feel like you belong then that sense of disconnect is even greater and it often happens for LGBTI people, not yeah. just young people, but all, all people. I think that was a great thing because we had um, Paulie actually come on our transgender episode and she talked about how living in Simpson, how people actually came up to her and welcomed her once she came out as mm. um, trans. And it was really great because she wasn't expecting that, I guess. Mm. Like, Because we always feel that like it's... You always expect the worst. Yeah, you always expect the worst. And for that to happen was fantastic. Yeah. That she felt like she was supported and she didn't have to leave. And that's what we're trying to reinforce, that you shouldn't have to leave a country town. You should be able to feel Mm. welcomed where you are. Yeah. And the thing, the sad thing is it can can only, it can just take one bad experience for you to feel on the outer. So that's Mm. why it's even more important that, yeah, people do make a big effort to make people feel included. I think safe places as well are quite good because by meeting safe places obviously attract other people from the community so you're more likely to meet people that have gone through the same thing as you or are going through the same thing and sometimes by meeting others and talking about it it can actually create a better understanding of your own sexuality or your gender identity yep which is a great thing too so yeah absolutely I think that anything that that promotes diversity and inclusion is beneficial for everyone um, not just for the the particular group that you're talking about because it opens your mind and it expands the potential of who you can be not to say that you're going to become gay or you're going to want to <laughs> change your gender but you know particularly with gender it's so um it's so stereotypical and it's, um, it's, it boxes in everyone, not just someone who is um, questioning their gender identity. Mm. It boxes in men. It tells them how they have to behave. It tells women how they have to behave. And we mm. all know that, you know, we're always pushing against those boundaries. That's how change has happened. For, you know, it wasn't that long ago that for a woman to wear jeans was terrible. <laughs> and now it's just commonplace. Yeah. So... And also, yeah, with that meeting other people that have gone through the same thing, did you work um, in groups at all, like with the youth 
that you had, like not just the one-on-one. Do you want to tell us a bit about any groups that you helped? Yeah, I mean, the GASP uh, essentially at its core was a social and support group. Um, Mm. And yeah, that was just so important for young people. You would see young people come to GASP and almost literally breathe a sigh of relief because it was the one time during the week where they felt like they really belonged. Um, you know, the rest of the time, you know, and for some of the trans and diverse young people, you know, they'd spend a whole life being, you know, trying, being cisgendered, um, and finally they could come to gasp and be themselves, and they'd literally be stripping off clothes and putting on clothes that made them <laughs> that they felt comfortable in. Um, so, you know, for that two hours a week, uh, yeah. So, but again, that's it's a safe place. It's but what that safe place created was connection and belonging, that um, oftentimes those young people didn't have you know all day at school all the time at home they didn't Mm. feel like they belonged they came to gasp and they felt like they belonged and it was such a special thing to be part of so did you ever have anyone come there that wasn't sexually or gender diverse to actually get a greater understanding like perhaps they had a friend going through transition or anything like that and they wanted we would say to young people that they could bring a friend if they felt nervous about coming mm-hmm. but we really had to keep it as a safe place mm-hmm. and so it wasn't a place for com- for people just to come and learn mm-hmm. we'd often have adults ringing going oh can we come and just observe the group and we'd mm-hmm. be like no you can't because mm-hmm. this is the one time these kids feel safe yeah yeah so um no but i mean people certainly the young people certainly went on journeys of identity in the group like it mm-hmm. was never like you know once you come to gasp and you've come as you know gay you gay forever like <laughs> young people changed their understanding of themselves mm. just because it was an opportunity to explore their identity so sometimes young people would come and you know be really just like I'm a lesbian and that's it and then would go oh actually no I think I might be I'm, I might be bi and of course that is that is what you want you want people to to be able to explore mm. and feel safe to explore their identity but yeah, it wasn't. We didn't want it to be like an exploratory ground for you know straight people can do that wherever they like. Yeah, <laughs> are there resources out there that you could recommend for those that have a th- friend going through something? Yeah, I mean, minus eighteen have created a resource called OMG. My friend is queer, mm-hmm. which you can get on the minus eighteen website and get. Um, and yeah, that that kind of tells other people's stories um and how they were good allies for their friends and and you know the journey that they went on um but you know the internet's got so much stuff but the yeah the minus 18 one's a good one good a good australian one mm-hmm. i guess it's a good time now to take a break so we're going to play our first song which is by muna and it's called i know a place so this track is about having a safe place to be free The video is also a depiction of the fact that acknowledging the humanity of your enemy can be the most powerful battle tactic of all. So I hope you guys enjoy and we'll also post up a link to the YouTube page if you guys are listening on our podcast. You're listening to From Paddocks to Pride on RACRFM with myself, Sarah, and guest presenter this week, Suzanne. So we were talking a little bit about safe places a bit off topic but out of curiosity because the the, um age gap between us what's your thoughts on the word queer um i i like it but i understand i and but i like and i apply it to myself 
but not all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and I think this is the case for lots of people. I, to- I um, absolutely understand the history of it, that for some people it was used as, in a derogatory way mm-hmm. and um, the wounds of those are still quite raw. Um, but um, I know, and that some young people, and it just depends on where you are, yeah? So yeah. I think a lot of city kids are really comfortable with it, but not so much not so much in the country but it all depends so but but in terms of my personal experience like if in a workplace I might say to people that I'm out as a lesbian but around people that I feel comfortable with I'm much more happier to talk about being queer because if if I'm with other queer people because I don't then have to explain it I can just say Mm. I'm queer and people like yeah cool and they understand the complexity of that word because for me Mm. that's about um, like I'm not necessarily I'm not gender diverse I identify as a mm-hmm. lesbian but I certainly don't fit the feminine stereotype and I mm-hmm. um, don't feel comfortable like that at all so yeah. for me that makes me that for me that kind of helps me to understand myself as a little bit queer um, and you know pushing the boundaries around gender um, quite a lot so um yeah, but but that I mean, just me talking about queer like that, like everyone for everyone, the definition of queer is very different. Um, and oh yeah, I think sometimes when I use it, it's kind of it's kind of quite an empowering term. And I don't I kind of don't like the word lesbian. It's got, I don't know why. A lot, lot of people, a lot of people don't. I know it's <laughs> funny. It's like I think I prefer dyke, but yeah. then but again, dyke has been used in really derogatory ways as well. Yeah, you know, but. Yeah, it's funny. It's you just. It's. I think it goes to just that thing for our community, where you're constantly watching the language that you use and mm. around whom you use it, because you, yeah, and yeah. you 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 develop this kind of radar where you know you feel safe to use the word, you know, whatever word in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. And mostly, I think I get it right. That's very true. Yeah, like when I'm around Jared, I use language I wouldn't necessarily use out in public because Jared, I've known him for years and I'm, because he's gay, I'm able to have that communication because yeah. he's on the same wavelength, I guess, because yeah. I've known him for so long. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. gonna have to. Yeah, you choose where <laughs> where you say certain stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, getting back on topic. So, do you want to talk a little bit about why it's so important to work with youth? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I've just seen. I guess having worked with so many young people and seeing the difference that it makes to them when they um, are heard and listened, and then mm-hmm. also um, empowered. So, and I don't really necessarily like the word empowered, but um, some, of the, some of the research shows that a protective factor against risk-taking behaviour and also poor, poorer mental health outcomes is the opportunity to um, advocate for your own self, to become an advocate. Um, so, like, turn up to protests, sign a petition, do an online thing, whatever it is. But that's a really important protective factor. So, and for me, you know, like the climate rallies just recently... Um, I, I kind of saw those as like crucial for obviously for our climate and mm-hmm. for our world, but also for the health and well-being of, of so many of those young people who, in a time where they feel really disempowered by what's going on around them, it's an actually an opportunity for them to take some power back. 
And so I kind of saw some of those rallies also as like a really positive mental health remedy for lots of young people who are feeling legitimately anxious about what's going on. So in terms of the LGBTI stuff, you know, a lot of the work that I did as a youth worker was about giving young people opportunities to have a voice, mm-hmm. to, um, have, to, to find their own voice. Mm-hmm. And whether that was voicing that voice just in the group or whether it was giving them an opportunity to speak at um, an Ida Hobbit rally. Whatever it was, it, it was all about them, you know, working out who they were and having that opportunity because it's really empowering. Yeah. Fantastic. So what can you talk a little bit about safe schools? Yeah. Yeah, so um, people might have heard about safe schools and they will probably will have heard a lot of misinformation about safe schools. But um, Safe Schools has been operating in Victoria since 2010, I think. And really, all it is, all it is, but it's a lot of things, but um, it really simply, it's about creating safe and inclusive environments for all students, including LGBTI students. And it's so the way that Safe Schools does that is that they work with teachers um, and principals and assistant principals and student well-being people, basically training them, helping them to get a better understanding of what constitutes inclusion, understanding the health and well-being experiences for LGBTI young people, getting them to think about curriculum, more inclusive curriculum, and helping. so then helping them to create a more safe, safer environment. So Safe Schools doesn't do individual support for LGBTI young people. It just supports schools to support young people better um yeah so and you know over the years since 2010 and then um like literally thousands and thousands and thousands of teachers have been trained to support lgbti young people and i would say without hesitation that lgbti young people are better off because of that program and that it has actually saved lives like i'm not even exaggerating that but you know as soon as a school becomes a safer place as soon as a student is supported to be who they are um because safe schools also trains schools around how to support a student to affirm their gender mm-hmm. um it, it just it it saves young people's lives by yeah. making them feel like they it's a safe space makes them connect feel connected and belong like they belong do you think as well some of it is with having safe schools there, it kind of creates a bit of visibility as well, which can help? Yeah, well, that's a big part of when schools say, well, what can we do? How can we make our school better, a safer place? We talk about improving visibility. So putting up posters. So, I mean, oftentimes people might not even know that, you know, all government secondary schools in Victoria are actually now safe schools. They've all had training um, they've all implemented some kind of plan to make their school safer. Now, that's not to say that every school is doing everything perfectly because they're not. Um, you know, there's lots of competing demands in schools and lots of different things they have to get their heads around. Um, but we, the, the, I think one of the simplest things is, you know, as a teacher, have you, you know, wearing a rainbow lanyard or putting some rainbow sock, rainbow shoelaces in your socks. Um, I, one of the teachers, I remember working with a teacher. Um, at Kerrang, Kerrang, Caniva, Caniva Secondary College. So Caniva is literally on the border almost of South Australia and Victoria in the Wimmera. And there was this fabulous teacher who just was so supportive of, of the student, the LGBTI students. She used to have rainbow shoelaces, rainbow socks, 
rainbow scarf. She knitted me a rainbow scarf. <laughs> it's one of my best things. Um, I love. It was so nice to receive. Um, but just all those things of increasing visibility, putting up posters, having Ida Hobbit Day, raising your rainbow flag, dealing with the flack of the few haters. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't feel that long ago, but I guess it kind of was when I went to school because obviously a lot has changed. But I remember going to school and when they had sex ed, mm-hmm. it wasn't really talked about... Like, for instance, I didn't, not until um, I grew up a lot where I started meeting queer people. Like, when I was younger, it was just something I saw on the the internet, on TV. It wasn't something in my everyday life. So the visibility meant it obviously took me a lot longer to come out than a lot of kids these days are. Um, What are your thoughts on... Sex ed sex that's ed. in yep. schools currently. So, um, firstly, it's different in every single school. So, like the Department of Education have developed a resource to help schools deliver sex ed called Catching On, um, and it is quite comprehensive and reasonably inclusive. Though it probably could could do with some um, trans and gender diversity inclusion. But like in terms of broadly, like I think about my youth work career. We've been talking with schools and school nurses um, about better sex ed for as long as I can remember. So sex ed is only as good as the person who's delivering the sex education. And sometimes some schools, some people delivering sex ed can't even deliver basic sex ed, let alone making it inclusive. The other thing to add about sex ed, we always talk about it as sex ed, but it's actually also about relationships. Mm. That's a big part of what sex ed... It's actually sexual and relationship education. And, and that's teaching young people about consent, about um, how to negotiate what's comfortable, what's safe in a, in a sexual... or in, in an intimate relationship. And that's... You know, when you think about that and when you think about the rates of, you know, abuse and um, sexual assault, etc., like, if people think that it's wrong to teach particularly young women, about consent, um, then there's something seriously wrong with those people because, yeah, young people need to know that. But what do I think about sex ed? It's generally not great (laughs) Um, and it's definitely not inclusive. So it doesn't include, um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have inclusive language. Um, I don't know that many... I, I mean, I did hear a few nurses, actually, because it's the school nurses that often deliver the sex ed in schools, um, who were really trying hard to make it inclusive of trans and gender diverse students. So using words, um, instead of saying, um, where, you know, all women get their periods, you might say um, a, a person who has a uterus, so to make it more inclusive of, of a trans mm. um, person who um, might have a uterus. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff, but there needs to be better resources for teachers because I know that teachers and school nurses want to deliver inclusive sex ed, but they just don't know what to do or what to say. Um, Yeah, probably on some of my side project work that I'm working on, that would be something I would would like to work with some people on developing um, better sex ed in schools. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess something that a lot of people generally have a habit of forgetting is intersex as well so I guess that wording is important when you say have a uterus because 
Yeah, there's intersex people that may appear quite feminine and people automatically identify identify them as female. They might necess- not necessarily have a uterus or yeah, that's right. ovaries. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, getting yeah, trying to have non-binary sex education, sex and, and relationship education would be a great thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it gets a bit complex, but I guess when you break it down you can understand why it's so important yeah absolutely and again it's um i think the thing that is good worth pointing out is that that's it's important for everyone it's not just important for the lgbti students to have inclusive sex education the more we talk about diversity the better it is for everyone because everyone gets a better understanding of the people that they live that they're going to live and work and be educated with um you know, I'm, I'm kind of a bit of a fan because some, sometimes schools, when they talk about periods and menstruation, they literally put the boys in one room and the girls in the mm-hmm. other. And the girls get to learn about menstruation and the boys don't. It's like, the boys need to know about that stuff too. Mm. It's really um, it's really important. It's important for just, well, you know, just demystifies stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it's, it makes it less taboo as well because I know mm. sometimes if you talk about that sort of thing, guys just go, oh. and it's a natural part of life. It shouldn't be something that's taboo. That's right. Yep. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. I find it interesting as well when we talk about sex education because I think people forget that parents don't generally have the talk about the birds and the bees. So even if a parent is sort of like, oh, I think my child might be Mm. gay or my child might be gender diverse it's not generally something that they know how to navigate and it's usually something that I guess is left up to the school yeah well it's it's an interesting debate because the people that there are people that don't want schools to deliver sex and relationship education you know like the big hoo-ha about respectful relationships program that the department of education is rolling out which is in response to the family violence royal commission one of the recommendations was we need to be teaching kids and young people from day dot about gender stereotypes and the impact that those those have on relationships so respect for relationships um is all about how to it's all about understanding gender and all about under but not gender from necessarily a trans and gender diverse perspective but just the role that gender plays in our lives all the time and it feeds into the consent and um, how to, you know, what's a healthy relationship, what's not a healthy relationship, etc. And people, yeah, people are like outraged by these programs and they say this should be what, you know, parents should be teaching their kids this stuff. But the reality is parents aren't teaching their kids this stuff. Mm. And so that's why, that's why education department has the programs. Yeah. So it's like, well, yeah, sure, okay, teach them, but teach them <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah that's the thing is if they're not getting it from their parents if they're not getting it from their schools this is stuff that they'll see on tv and pick up on from tv and there's a lot of reality tv shows out there that unfortunately have really negative yeah. things on there well, and, and not they- to mention like the reality also is that a lot of particularly boys are learning about sex by watching porn that's the that's uh, the reality yeah and so um i know of uh workers youth workers and sexual health nurses and gps who are having conversations with girls all the time going no no you don't have to do that mm. particular act that's that's porn you don't 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's but it's but like people can rage against that and go, oh, it's disgusting. We shouldn't be talking about porn in school. But the reality is, kids are talking about it. Everyone's got a smartphone. You can look up porn in two seconds, mm. and that's how kids are learning it. If we don't teach young people about healthy relationships, then they're going to go and find out about it. And the other thing is, people go, if you teach people about sex, it means they're going to have sex. Actually, research shows that you teach kids about sex, it makes them less likely to have sex. Probably because it terrifies them slightly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they just part of the curiosity is taken away a little yeah. bit. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah. oh, I get it now. I don't yeah. really want to do that yet. Mm. So, yeah. There's a lot of moral outrage and panic about it. It's unnecessary, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so is a safe school, do you know if that's a aim that they'll end up having to try and... So safe schools is not a sex education program. Yeah. That And that was that's something that... Um, one of the misinformation that's part of the misinformation yeah so it's not a sex education program the only thing that safe school says is if you are going to teach sex ed which you are then you need to make it inclusive Mm. um that's about the extent of the sex ed element of safe schools but that's kind of across the board sex ed uh, all curriculum should be inclusive of lgbti young people yeah so we're going to play a song now that was actually recommended by suzanne So the artist is Brandy Carlisle, who is a very talented artist, and a lot of her songs have quite powerful meanings behind them. So this one's actually called Hold Out Your Hand, which was released in conjunction with the National Gun Violence Awareness Day. And she wanted to say that it doesn't matter where you stand in relation to the debate around gun violence protection prevention i just hope that we can all agree that young people deserve a voice and that in a civil society the least we can do is listen and to amplify the people we're passing the world on to i think it was really great when i was speaking to suzanne off air because we were talking about the fact that a lot of people in the community will be advocates for other things such as like climate change obviously in this case gun violence and i think it's really great as well that they'll get behind other minorities because they understand what it's like themselves to be in a minority I think this song is really great in the fact that the video clip features children that actually left their houses and put down their phones and showed up in Seattle to protest gun violence and it's really interesting because obviously they come from all different backgrounds and responsible gun laws are on a spectrum so we think of it as black and white however it's not really there's people there that would have went hunting with their parents or perhaps want to join the military and that sort of thing and what they were essentially wanting is to be safe in their schools and not have um, the issue of being worried about their a gunner coming through their school or anything like that so just take a listen or watch the video clip You're listening to From Paddocks to Pride on OCRFM with myself, Sarah, and guest presenter this week, Suzanne, for the topic of safe places. So we're actually up to that time of the night where we actually talk about events in our community. So there's a lot happening at the moment. Um, there's a lot more I'm seeing on my Facebook for sure coming into the warmer weather. <laughs> Everyone's wanting to get out of the house a little bit more. We've actually... There's 
these things are happening in Ballarat a little bit more called community dinners. And I'm actually finding that a lot of communities are having these LGBTIQ plus dinners. And if you're in an area where you're not sure whether there's a dinner or not, just let us know and I'll be able to point you in the right direction. Or if not, I'll find out from someone who can point you in the right direction because they're everywhere. And so no matter where you are, you should be able to. Obviously, if you're in a little bit of a regional area, so obviously Simpson, you'd have to drive a little bit further, but there'd be someone somewhere like Warnable or something. And speaking of regional, there's actually a visibility ride that's going to Aurora on the 20th of this month. So that's actually a township near Shepparton. So the visibility ride is actually done by Dykes on Bikes. And it sounds really great. Unfortunately, it looks like I'm not going to be able to go. I was so keen to go, but it looks like I'm not going to be able to make it. So it doesn't matter whether you have a bike or not. Um, you can always drive or just meet them along the way because they're going from Warn Ponds or somewhere in Geelong all the way up to Aurora, which is the other side of Shepparton. So it'd be great to see heaps of people go along or at least wave them past as they go through your town now so OCRFM actually has an exciting event coming up so on the 26th of October from 7 p.m they have this Bolarama event so it's a happy days inspired night at Colac Tin Pin Bowling and I'll post some information up on the page so on our Facebook page because it does look really great. Unfortunately, Jared and I won't be there as we'll actually be up in Melbourne at the awards presentation. So because we're a finalist in the Community Broadcasting of Australia Association Awards, we're going to go to that, So, which is super exciting. But we hope that plenty of people will be able to go along to the Bolarama and support the station. It is a fundraiser, so... The more the merrier. And that's a wrap for this week's From Paddocks to Pride on OCRFM. So thanks, Suzanne, for being on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Colac. (laughs) So next week we'll actually be discussing the topic of sexual health with a sexual health nurse from Colac Area Health. So I can't wait for that episode. And as always, we'll leave you with This Is Me by Kesha.